Friends, welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Kristen Carey. I'm really honored and grateful to host today. And I have with me Daryl Brazel on our podcast today. Daryl, thank you so much for joining me on the Living Truth Podcast. My privilege. Good to be with you, Kristen. Thank you. You guys, let me tell you about Daryl. Daryl has been a pastor for well over 30 years. He has run sexual integrity recovery groups, his wife running groups for partners impacted by sexual betrayal for decades. You guys, Daryl goes so far back in this field that when I was going through the worst of my betrayal, which began in 2004, I had a dear friend who worked with me in the ministry that I worked for, who was actually a member. She and her husband were members of Daryl and his wife's um, recovery groups. And so he was, because he was also a pastor and I was coming from this position of, of being in full-time ministry and the level of exposure involved with my story. And just because there were not a lot of experts that were accessible in the field, Daryl was one of the earliest people I talked to, one of the earliest professionals that I talked to about what I was going through. I don't remember a lot from that time period, I remember weird snapshots because I was so severely traumatized, but I talked to Daryl multiple times over the years that I was trying to navigate my betrayal discoveries and decision to divorce and all of these things. So that is how I got to know Daryl was in the context of my own extreme trauma. And here's what I remember, (laughs) hazy as my memories are. I remember feeling a sense of relief. Somebody knows what this is. Not that he could fix it or change it, but Daryl was able to give me some information to kind of kind of almost like having a compass where you know this way is north. Like this is the direction of recovery. What what is normal in recovery? What is not? What should I expect? What should I not? Um, Is it a reasonable decision to end this relationship in light of all the facts of here's what's happened? I was in so much confusion that the relief, the validation, and the support and the guidance that he was able to offer me really were game changers in my own early recovery. So Daryl, I wanted to say this to you while we were recording the podcast rather than before we were on the air, because I want to give you just a huge thank you for the role that you played in my life and my early devastating recovery. Well, thanks, Kristen. I'm honored. I'm also humbled because I think what I knew then versus what I know now and think, wow, that was definitely got at work because... <laughs> I was in the early days as well. And so, um, you know, we were we were f- figuring it out as we went at that point to a great extent. Aren't we still kind of? Oh, yes, it out? absolutely. <laughs> we always are. Uh, one of my, you know, one of the things that I revert back to all the time is uh, I did a week with Dr. Larry Crabb many years ago in his school of spiritual direction. And he started off the week by talking about how he spoke to the Association of Christian Counselors or something like that. And he just had gallbladder surgery. And so he got up and Crab was always, you know, he had a great sense of humor, a great storyteller. And so he's telling this story about his, um, you know, giving some of the gory details about his, I believe it was gallbladder surgery. 
and everybody's laughing or whatever. And then while they're laughing, he just stops and he says, and you know what? If my surgeon would know, it would have known as little about the human body as we know about the human soul, I would not let him within 10 feet of me mm. with a scalpel. Yeah. And his point in that was that we don't ever really know. And that's why we are dependent upon the spirit of God to guide us in what we do and how we minister to people. So I would say um, what you received from me way back in the day when I knew so little was more about what the spirit knew you needed than about what I had to offer. Well said. And I think that is a word for every person listening to this who serves in a betrayal trauma recovery group or a sex addiction recovery group, every professional coach and therapist who at moments has that level of imposter syndrome or feeling like, oh, what am I, who am I to help these people? What do I know? Um, because I think we all get there sometimes. And it's like really far more about an attitude and a posture of your pain does not scare me. Mm -hmm. Your mess does not scare me. There is hope. Mm -hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll get through this together then it is about knowledge and, and like, <laughs> you know, being, having answers. It's really more about the former than the latter. Well, and, and the flip side is also true because the other ditch is even more dangerous. Which and that is the is that? ditch, the ditch where we think we're the expert and we think we know what someone needs and we think that their situation matches ours or somebody else that we've been worked with and the reality is every situation has every individual, every couple has unique, distinct characteristics that we are not smart enough to figure out. So we have to be led through it. Very, very well said. So if you're listening to this and this makes you feel hopeless because you're in the early throes of trauma, know that this is actually very hopeful. And it explains why it's been so difficult for you if you've gone to your spiritual leadership or even a counselor for help thinking, these people are professionals. I should be getting the help that I need. If anybody comes to you with a definitive, I know all the answers, and that human being <laughs> is clearly not God, and your situation is complex as the day is long, then perhaps it's time to go to somebody else for help because I love Daryl's attitude right now about this whole thing. It's not that he um, has all the answers, but he is growing and learning. And that's one of the things I've appreciated, even as I've been collecting interview questions for you for this podcast episode, Daryl, is I consider myself a lifelong learner and I do know quite a bit about sexual addiction and betrayal trauma and all of that, but I definitely don't know everything. I'm learning constantly. And as I was asking Daryl about topics to discuss on our podcast, he was bringing up stuff that I was like, I don't even know what that is. So great, let's do it because I wanna learn from you. So today we're gonna be talking about the secret sexual basement based on um, Omar Minwala's work. So Daryl, can you describe this secret sexual basement? Yeah, Dr. Omar, Omar Minwala has developed, he calls it a, his whole paradigm of sexual addiction and sexual addiction recovery. And it, uh, it differs somewhat from your classic CSAT sexual addiction stuff. 
Um, though it has a, there's a lot of overlap and, uh, there's a lot of, a number of CSATs who are doing, um, Dr. Amala, uh, Dr. Minwallis training that I'm doing right now as well. And so I don't think it's a great change, um, but it's, but it has a distinct flavor to it that I think is greatly needed. And kind of at the core of his model is an illustration that he calls the secret sexual basement. And this illustration has been very impactful for me personally, as well as for many people that I work with. Um, and so what I want you to do is just imagine, you know, if I was an artist and we had a whiteboard, uh, which I'm thankfully we don't because I am not an artist, but uh, if if I were an artist with a whiteboard, I would literally just draw this for you. I draw a nice house, you know, draw, just imagine a, 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 a house, you know, a, a, a sketched house of a white picket fence, two, you know, two dog, two kids, a dog. Um, everything about it on the outside looks like this is the perfect life. This is what we all want. Family sitting at a kitchen table. Everyone seems good. Husband seems a little distracted, but it's still that Americana picture we all long for. If you zoom back, however, and picture the scene, what you can picture is if you had radar and could see underneath the house, you could see that the husband has gone into one of the closets and he's pulled up the carpet, he's pulled up the floor, and he's dug a secret basement that no one knows about. He's created a space that he often disappears into to engage in secret sexual behaviors, pornography, strip clubs, prostitution even, uh, you name it, he's gone down there to participate in that. So he's often gone for hours at a time and then suddenly reappears. His wife, kids may say, hey, dad, where have you been? Uh, well, I've been right here. What are you talking about? And so what happens is there's this whole separate world going on. It's this covert phase of deception where um, the husband is pretending to live the life in the house above the basement, but then making forays down into the basement that no one else knows about. And so just even the thought of who is this person that's built this secret basement? And then where that plays out as it, you know, as it continues is invariably the wife will start noticing some things or maybe even the kids. And they'll ask questions, you know, questions like, Dad, you've been gone. We've not seen you in two hours. Where have you been? And that's where the gaslighting begins. That's where the shaping of another person's reality gets twisted in. Uh, well, I was just in the back room or I was just yada, yada, yada. Everything's fine. The other thing that you can imagine is, you know, with the secret sexual things that are going on in that basement, there's fumes that start to come up. Mm -hmm. And so the wife, the kids, maybe even guests in the house start questioning, you know, what, what's that stench? What's that smell? 
in which the husband just sprays some air freshener or he opens the windows or he does whatever he can to distract from anyone noticing the things coming up from the basement. He tells his wife, you know, you're crazy. You're imagining things. You're making mountains out of molehills. He's constantly diverting, sliding away from these things. And it continues to get worse. In many cases, it gets so bad that the wife starts having physical symptoms. You know, she may begin, those toxic fumes are eating away at her physical body even. And yet he continues to hold on to this deception. Until one day, the wife is cleaning in the closet. She's doing something. She notices the rug is a little bit out of place. And so she pulls on it and it lifts up and she sees this trap door and she sticks her head down the door. And all of a sudden, in this traumatic moment, her eyes are opened up and she sees just a glimpse of what her husband has been involved in. And that glimpse completely destroys her world and also, in a strange way, starts to make sense out of what she has been experiencing for the last year, five years, sometimes 30 years. And so Dr. Manwala's model is based around what he calls a DCSR. And, and the, the secret basement is the illustration of that. But the DCSR is an anachronym that stands for a deceptive um, compartment, or DC, deceptive compartmentalized sexual reality. Compartmentalization, let's kind of start there for a second. Compartmentalization is something we all do. You know, every, you know, compartmentalization has a bad name because, especially in addiction fields, because we talk about how, you know, an individual can be an upstanding person for 75% of his life or 75% of his day, and then he changes hats and he dives into a secret basement. Okay, we get the, that that part of compartmentalization is bad. However, we do want compartmentalization. You know, for example, if you go into surgery and your surgeon has just had a fight with his wife, you want him to be able to flip a switch and be just surgeon and not a basket case because he's had a fight with his wife. Or okay? when somebody like you or I that's working as a professional in this very traumatic field of sex addiction and betrayal trauma you want to be able to compartmentalize all the painful stories you've heard all day so that you can go be present to your family. Right. Otherwise, so, you wouldn't do this work. <laughs> so compartmentalization is not the problem. Right. But the problem comes when it gets combined with those other letters. Mm -hmm. And of course, the big one is the deception. Yeah. And so the reality is when... When a husband, and, and again, I do know that there are times when it's reversed. Absolutely. There are wives who also can fit this. Uh, I work with men. And so from that, this is, you know, where, where my background is. So I'm not going to try to juggle that and 
partner and all that. I'll talk wives, but I do know that it is sometimes reversed. Yes. Okay. But the moment a husband begins to build that secret basement, it it almost doesn't matter what's in the basement. It almost doesn't matter how much is in the basement. It's just the sheer fact of the deception of him pulling up the rug, pulling up the floor, and starting to build this other world that he's going to go to. Or And, and I guess one place where the illustration breaks down in is that most men already have the basement before they have the wife. That's what I was going to ask you. I was like, in your experience, isn't that what you see? Because certainly for us, it's he 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 started his secret compulsive sexual behavior usually preteen. Yeah, most of it. Well, and and that's you know that's part of the how do I put it? That's part of the horror of how the enemy works. Yeah, is he begins his assault on on men when they're small boys and have very little ability to defend against it. Yeah. And then he uses those damaged boys who physically have grown into men, but are still very much, very childish. Yeah. He uses them to continue that assault upon their wives and their children and their children. Yeah. And so, you know, the enemy is, he's very good at what he does Yeah. and what he does is really bad. And so going back to this anacronym, so you've got this deceptive compartmentalization. So when he's in the basement, he's in his sexual world. When he's upstairs, he's living as if the basement doesn't exist, though it certainly has effects on him. But then what, you know, then the S, of course, is for um, a sexual reality a sexual relational reality. And the reason that's important is that many people have secret basements. You know, you can have a financial secret basement. You can have, you know, many of us, you know, for me, I'll, you know, I'll be honest here. Uh, One of the things I had to come clean with a few, a number of years ago was that I was, I had a secret basement about food Mm -hmm. that I hid different things that I ate. I, I had this, I had a deceptive, I had a DC, you know, a DC, what DCF. (laughs) Okay. I, I, I would, you know, I would hit Sonic on my way home and get a, you know, get a shake or something and then throw the, throw my cup away someplace so that my wife and kids wouldn't know that I'd done that. Yeah. Just one of those Uh, ways that my addictive, deceptive reality was still at play in a, quote, safer way that I had not fully identified that, wait, this is still the same thing. And so, so you can have a, you know, you can have a secret basement about anything. Yeah. But let's be honest, when that secret basement is a secret sexual basement, it has a greater toxicity to it. And that toxicity and those fumes that come up through the through the floorboards have incredible impacts. And so it is a sexual relational and it's a reality 
that last R is for reality. It's creating a diff, it's creating a whole world. And so it's not just the behaviors, it's also the conditions that are created. And it's a creating a world in which I am pretending to be this when I'm actually this. Mm-hmm. And it leaves a wife in this place of complete confusion of, I don't know what's real. Okay. In the 22 years I've been doing this work, I cannot tell you how many wives I have talked to post discovery, you know, post sticking their head down the hole in the floor and finding this whole room. And then they will talk about how many times they had smelled the fumes How many times something in their gut just said, something is not right here, but I didn't know what to do with that. And what's happening there is this is is the process of what's called our enteric system. Okay, the enteric system is a system of, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a big biology, uh, I, I, I dabble in brain science, but as my wife always tells me, Daryl, you're not a scientist, okay? So if I mess any of this up and any of you listening to this are science people, f- give me grace, all right? The principle is true, some of the details may not be exact, but it between the brain and the gut and really the whole body, In our central nervous system, there is so much communication that takes place going from the gut to the brain, and that's called our enteric system. And our enteric system picks up on many things that we do not pick up on on a fully cognitive level. You know, sometimes it's that we've all had that that sense we walk into a room and we have a sense that someone's there, though we haven't seen them. And then sure enough, a minute later, a moment later, there's a movement and oh, there's the person. Okay, we didn't actually see them. Maybe in the very periphery, we got a tiny glimpse, but our bodies picked up on something that we were not fully cognizant of. So would you call that like intuition? Is that well, right? intuition, you know, that certainly plays into intuition. Yeah. And also as people of faith, I definitely believe the spirit works in our enteric system. Yes. But just from a biological framework, um, we all have that enteric system. And certainly intuition, faith, those play a role in that. And I don't want to discount that at all. But it's just that sense of the gut. I mean, how many wives, Kristen, have you heard through the years say, my gut was telling me, Yep. but my husband kept telling me. But part of what is so disorienting for them is as he continually dismisses her gut instinct, she unravels further because she doesn't have the solid evidence to know that that there's a basement. But she feels it and he keeps denying it and she doesn't have the evidence. So until she sticks her head in that basement, I mean, she she has however long that is that her sense of trusting her gut gets torn down. Exactly. It feels like she's betrayed herself. And so the image that I think is most helpful is picture a woman standing in front of two doors. And one door says, my gut. 
trust my gut. The other door says, trust me. And what you need to understand is the trust me door is her primary attachment. And that's and, her, and, the trust me is her husband. Yeah, let me, let me flesh that out a little bit. Our primary attachment is the most important person in our lives. When we are born, when we come into the world, mom is our primary attachment. She has carried us in her womb for nine months. She holds us. She feeds us. She changes us. An infant really does not know there's a difference between me and mom. And that primary attachment stays our primary attachment until guess what? Until a woman decides and says, okay, I am going to leave my mother and father. I'm going to transfer my primary attachment from my mom and my dad to a new entity, my husband. And so it's that whole concept of leaving and cleaving. And so imagine it from a woman's perspective. She leaves the safety and comfort and protection of her biological home. And trust me, I know that I'm painting a real pretty picture of that, and it often isn't. But regardless, she leaves that primary attachment, and she reassigns that primary attachment to her husband. And in her mind and in her world, she's changing that attachment, and this is going to be her safe space. This is my person. This is my safety net for life. Mm -hmm. So now go back to that picture of the woman standing at the two doors. My gut's telling me something's off here. My gut's telling me this doesn't add up. This isn't good. My primary attachment, however, is telling me, Kristen, everything's fine. It's wonderful. You're imagining things. You're just paranoid. You're yada, yada, yada. You're a prude. You know, you're a prude. Yeah, yeah, that was R-rated movie and there was a little skin, but that doesn't affect me. And no, I don't watch anything worse than that. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so every time a woman chooses to believe her husband and discount her gut, she loses connection with herself and she loses her ability to listen to her gut. And that has huge impact and effect on her. But the attachment piece is what's so critical and so important there is because think of what a desperate place that she's at. Because choosing to trust my gut risks connection with my primary attachment. Because what if I choose to trust my gut and make a stink about this, and then my husband, my primary attachment, reacts badly, goes on the offensive, pulls out Darvo, and attacks me, abandons me, then here I am left alone because the greatest fear of the human psyche is the fear of abandonment. Mm. 
Yeah. And so a wife living in a house with a husband with a secret basement is constantly put in that dilemma of which do I believe? Do I trust my enteric system? Do I trust my gut? Or do I trust the one that I so want to trust, that I so want to be my safe person, that I so want to believe that everything is good? Mm. And it is a vicious cycle that does incredible damage. And it's it's almost like it's an impossible situation. It is until, absolutely an impossible decision for a wife. Hardcore evidence, like until she finds that trapdoor and really starts to see. But even then, she sees the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. And so, you know, Daryl, you had sent me a list of these covert phase, covert phase integrity abuse. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about what are the types of things that 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 a spouse with the sexual secrets tends to do in that covert phase before the wife has found the trap door. Well, again, this is this is a list. I sent it to you straight from my training with Dr. Manwala. And so I'll give him credit for this. Uh, yes. Although these lists, you know, have been made by a number, you know, a number of different people in the betrayal trauma world. But just read just reading them is impactful. Uh and this covert phase, this is the time before the wife sticks her head in and get sees actually has her eyes open to the fact that there is a basement. And many of these types of, of, of abuses, many of these types of, of harm that a husband does in this, they continue after that also, but these are definitely going on during this covert phase, uh, lying. And that includes lying by omission, blaming, deceiving, hiding, manipulating the truth, Gaslighting, which I imagine your listeners are aware of, that's the intentional psychological manipulation of the victim's reality, telling them that what they see, sense, feel, hear, know, isn't really true. Uh, The enteric system, the enteric system I've talked about, the gut, it's also referred to as the second brain. So it's enteric system incongruence. Uh, Two separate realities exist. Uh, There's covert or overt blaming of the intimate partner or the relationship. Uh, There's cultivating negative narratives in order to justify the secret basement. Uh, Corroding perceptions of intimate partner relationship, family system, etc. There's relational neglect, uh, withdrawal rejection. Okay, Again, what I said before, in addition to behaviors, there's also conditions. So many men who have their secret sexual basement, uh, some men, you know, there's kind of two camps there. Some men take the secret sexual basement and then it translates into extra sexual pressure. And that creates pain and trauma for a wife. Some men do just the opposite. Mm -hmm. They satisfy themselves through their secret sexual basement. And then they have no real need for their wife physically, sexually, and they live in a withdrawal state. And so a wife is stuck there in that painful place of what's wrong with me? Why, why, uh, why do you not want me? And the reason he doesn't want the wife isn't because there's something wrong with the wife. It's because he is fulfilling his sexual appetite in illegitimate ways. But often won't he use that 
to pick the wife apart and to point at the reasons he doesn't want her being like out of blame for something. Absolutely. Like, yeah. That that is an, another an, cover up. It is a un it is another tragic, um, abusive act that that unfortunately many husbands do in this process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, other uh, other acts acts that come out of this relational integrity erosion erosion. Uh, relational, including family, risk-taking, and endangerment, uh, covert tactics of domination and control. Uh, I hope we have time to talk about some domination and submission issues, because I think in the Christian community, that's especially significant. Uh, Intentionally withholding of life-altering information necessary for survival. Um, That means leaving a victim in a state of disempowerment without a viable escape route. You know, one of the real tragedies that and one of the reasons that, um, um, well, let me read the last one, then I'll circle back to this. The last one he has on the list is intentional withholding of relevant information, for examples, you know, about the secret basement uh, in treatment, that be individual or couples counseling, for example. And so one of the things that often happens is... um, Men who are involved with secret sexual basements, especially when that basement includes physical encounters with others, the withholding of that information literally puts a wife's life at risk. Yes. And so that's a condition that's taken place. It's not just the singular behavior, but it's a condition that exists over time. It also creates a condition, regardless of what's in the basement, of basically what comes down to a a form of lack of informed consent. You know, Kristen, how many wives have you heard through the years that have said something to the effect of, there's no way I would have slept with him if I would have known that he'd just come from a strip club? Or if I had known that he'd just spent hours looking at pornography and that's why he was wanting me to look a certain way or act a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. So they've given consent for a sexual activity based upon a belief in that above ground husband without the knowledge of the secret basement and what all is going on there. And so that is what's called a lack of informed consent. Yeah. Which is extremely abusive. Yes, it is. So this this puts us in a position where um, the way you're explaining all of this is so clear. And I am so hopeful that we will have partners listen to this who are like some, some light bulb moments will come on for them. We're also going to do another episode with you, Daryl, where we're going to talk specifically to counselors, pastors, ministry leaders who have people come to their office exposing a little bit of truth. So we're going to talk about that in a future episode. But I want to wrap this one up by asking you, if a wife suspects there's a secret sexual basement or she just discovered it, like she stuck her head down there. She sees the tip of the iceberg and her whole world has been decimated. First of all, if that's you, dear listener, 
I am so sorry. I am so sorry. This life that you have had that you thought was your reality has collided with truth that there is some other world entirely going on. And this is devastating, disorienting, unraveling, gut-wrenching, like you may as well be lying in a ditch bleeding out after a horrible car wreck for how damaging it is to you. And Daryl, I just would love for you to wrap up this episode by sharing with wives, what, what can they do? What is their next step when they make this discovery? Well, I think, uh, let me speak first of all to the wife who stuck her head in the basement. Yeah. Know that your need for help right now trumps pretty much everything else. Many wives, when they stick their head in the basement, they they initially go to a place of you know shame of you know i caused this yada 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 or um sometimes a rescuing place of okay how do i get him out of here and let me just encourage you first of all that the first priority is you know the analogy i use a lot is triage you know i grew up when I was in high school, the most popular TV show was MASH. And in almost every MASH episode, there was a scene where one doctor and one nurse was there with the helicopters and they were determining, okay, this guy goes in first. This one can wait. He's bleed, you know, he's in great pain, but he ain't going to die. This one's got a cut artery. And if we don't stop this bleeding immediately, he's going to bleed out in the next 15 minutes. He's first in line. Wives. When you discover that secret basement, you are the one with the cut artery. And you need to find you help who knows and understands betrayal trauma, understands trauma, and will provide you the emergency care that you need right now. And if that means you have to withdraw from your volunteering at the PTA or coaching your children's uh, baseball team, if it means that you need to not bring meals to families that you signed up to bring meals to, or you need to take some medical leave at work, whatever you need to do, you may look at your body and be like, I'm not bleeding internally, emotionally, psychologically. Mm -hmm sexually on all levels internally you are bleeding absolutely you are bleeding and you will see it physically if you don't address it immediately on an emotional spiritual psychological level with betrayal trauma informed care and with that a critical part of that also is to know that you you don't have to protect your husband at that place. Even if he's the pastor, even if he is a community leader, your place right there is to find the care you need. Now, I'm not saying you, you know, you call up the local news station and you make an announcement, but I'm saying that when you're in that place, you find the care you need and if that results in his being outed, 
that is the consequence of his actions, not yours. It is not your fault if the story were, even if the story were to end up on the local news, that would be the consequence of his actions and not yours. You get the help you need. And then for the wife who, you know, speak quick, briefly to the wife who's sitting there saying, well, you know, something in my gut, but I don't have any evidence and I don't know what to do with this. The thing I've been, I may have even said this to you, Kristen, many years ago, because I don't know when I started saying it, but we've used the phrase even long before we understood about the enteric system, long before you know, betrayal trauma was even a term that we knew of. I've used the phrase for probably 20 years or more now for wives, trust your gut. When your gut is telling you something is off kilter, take that to God and say, okay, God, what is this? What is wrong in my marriage? What's wrong in my family? Show me what is true. And so one of the things I've told wives for many years now as well is as much as you value truth, your heavenly father values truth even more. Oh, yeah. And so if you if you take that question to Jesus, if you take that question to God and say, God, I need to know truth. You know, and and please understand that there are some occasions where that gut, that gut sense that something's wrong is because of wounding in the wife's background. There are some occasions of that. But even in those occasions, taking that question to God, God, please show me truth. Is there a secret basement here? Asking that question, it's amazing how many things will suddenly appear. Uh, Lori Hall, in her kind of one of the original groundbreaking books, you know, in her book, she she talks about finding receipts, you know, praying and asking God for truth, and then opening a drawer and finding a receipt that just revealed truth. I have had wives tell me countless stories of that nature. And so if you're a wife and something in your gut and you're listening to this podcast, you're doing research because you think there's something there, but you don't know there's something there, trust your gut. Ask your husband to go with you to see a trained counselor, therapist, pastoral person, and and we'll hopefully talk about that more in the next one, who has specific training in this arena. Yes. And who was willing to dig in and really ask some hard, specific questions. Because many times what happens in this arena is... You know, the phrase I use a lot of times is guys will say, well, you didn't ask the right question in the right way on the right day at the right moment. Hmm. It's not about that. It's about where is truth. And these um, men with secret basements are very skilled at deflection. 
very skilled at minimization, very skilled at denial. And part of why I know that is because I was one. And part of what I know about that is that I was, I was, I was conditioned to be one from really my earliest existence through my family of origin issues and struggles. And so by, by the time I met my wife, I was incredibly skilled at hiding these things. And so the fact that you're not finding them right off, right off the bat isn't because there's something inherently wrong with you. It's because he's really, really skilled. And if you're wrong, and if he doesn't have a secret basement, then odds are he'll have the humility and the maturity to be able to meet you in that place and say, honey, I'm really sorry you're scared, but I want to be an open book to you because you're my wife and I don't want any secrets from you. And be willing to take a polygraph to prove that. (laughs) Well, you know, like if she has had little evidence of certain things going on in their marriage and she's wondering if he crossed the flesh line or not, and he has no proof. It could I think be a very loving thing to do to work with a betrayal trauma trained coach or therapist and be willing to do whatever she asks you to do to help her feel safe. I, I agree with that, Kristen. I just, um, I'm a little hesitant only because for two reasons. One, because I found that the peace test is more accurate than a polygraph. Oh, you mean having peace? Having peace. Okay. Okay. The enemy, the enemy of our souls cannot, he doesn't speak peace. Yeah. He uses pressure, fear, intimidation. Mm. If a wife can get to a place of peace, that is more accurate than a polygraph. Now we found, and please understand, we use polygraphs in our ministry. Uh, We found that a polygraph is often helpful to, is often very helpful to help a wife get to peace. Absolutely. But it is important to know that polygraphs have their limitations. Sure, they do. They're not perfect. They're not perfect. They are a tool. Yeah. But that's one of the reasons why the, I think the disclosure process can be such a, such a powerful tool in this regard is what I've been telling wives for many, many years is that when your husband goes through a full disclosure process, then at the close of that full disclosure process, you have something very concrete to take to God in prayer. Mm-hmm. You have something very concrete that says, okay, God, as my heavenly father who values truth more than I do, was my husband's full disclosure, was that truth or is he intentionally trying to hide something? And to that question, I do not believe a wife can get peace if her husband is hiding things intentionally, Mm. even if he passes a polygraph. And that's why I believe that that path is even more important than just the, oh, well, let's get a polygraph and that'll solve it. Yeah, that's we're we can be too reliant on the polygraph as if it's God and it's certainly not. Right. 
So Daryl, thank you so much. There are extremely valuable, uh, not nuggets of wisdom, I would say mountains of wisdom that you have uncovered for our listeners today. I am so grateful for your, your pastoral heart, your, your, your love for both people with unwanted sexual behavior and their partners and your compassion, your knowledge, the way you've explained all of this, I know is going to help a lot of people realize that they're not crazy, that they have been gaslit, that they're, the fumes are real and that there are some steps they can make forward to discover truth. So thank you so much for joining me today. Sure. I'm looking forward to our next episode also. Me too.